as I told you guys, I've been uh, been dealing with a lot of discomfort, been dealing with a lot of uh, just recovering, and it's been, I don't know, the last few days have been difficult, but they've been difficult in many ways. Uh, I believe it's been emotionally difficult. Um, you know, discouragement wants to creep in, other things want to creep in, and I, frustration and all kinds of other things, and not to say that I haven't dealt with them in and out, because I have, and this is just me being honest with y'all. It's just me being a brother uh, to you all uh, to tell you that, uh, yeah, yeah, pastors even d d deal with discouragement and pastors even deal with frustration and, and everything else. And so anyway, uh, today, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. I'm working through it. I want to say that I'm working through it. Um, uh, but yes, I did. Uh, I called the hospital and it looks like I might be going back to the hospital today. Um, actually, I might be going right after this reading rant. And so keep me in prayer, guys, um, as still figuring this whole thing out, still working through this whole thing out as I continue to recover. But um, I don't know, it looks like we're seeing some deterioration in the vision again and a lot of discomfort. It was very hard for me to go outside yesterday. And I, couldn't, I just couldn't take sunlight. I've dealt with headaches throughout the entire day. So I've been I've been incredibly uncomfortable and I've been really working hard to not take pain medication. Um, uh, and that's in part because I understand the purpose of pain. <laughs> um, I, I always say this, I, I always avoid, I, I tell people this all the time. Like um, when you, when you look to avoid pain, then you're running away from the root of what's causing the pain. I mean, I find that often even emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and physically, we look for ways to satiate our pain. We'll take pain medications or we'll get into drinking or other addictions and other things in order to dull the pain and to make the pain away. But when you are attentive to the pain, the pain is simply a signal that something isn't right. And so pain allows you now to be more attentive to what's going on in your body, what's going on in your soul, what's going on in your mind. And so anyway, I've found... I've, I've, I avoid taking pain medication for that reason. And so anyway, um, but yeah, I've been very uncomfortable and I've been paying very close attention. And so keep me in prayer because it looks like I'll be heading back to the hospital right after this read and rant because that's, that's, that's what I've been told to do. And so anyway, that's discouraging to say the least. Um, it's discouraging to say the least, but I am grateful. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting how God has a way of, speaking to us through his word with all attentiveness that God is, uh, he's, he's meeting us right where we are in his word. I, I think that's so, it's just profound. Like how odd is it that in our time of reading, as we're reading through the read and rant, as we're journeying through the entire scripture, we started from Genesis and now we're in the book of Job that it's in the book of Job that we're learning about the wisdom of suffering. And I say that we're learning about the wisdom of suffering and the hope that we can find in suffering. And it's just interesting. You know, God is a, he's a divine poet. He, he's, it's, you know, the book of Job is a poetic book, by the way. It's a poetic uh, a book, and yet in this poetry of suffering, we're getting a revelation of God, and this is happening in a season when I'm dealing with suffering. So it's just interesting how the timing of God and all of that, and I feel I feel it that this is just a time, you know, especially during the holiday seasons where a lot of us are uh, memorializing our years. Uh, or your previous year and are memorializing things that have been lost. And often it's holiday seasons that people deal with the most pain and the most frustration and the most suffering. And so uh, God has a word for you. I have to say that he, he has a word for you. He wants to speak to you uh, today and he wants to speak into whatever it is that you're going through. And so today I'm going to be reading to you as a man, not not some kind of, you know, uh, some foo-foo-foo-foo up in the sky, you know, shooka-shooka, you know, spiritual leader, but I'm speaking to you as a brother. And I'm going to read with you as a brother, and we're going to journey together as brothers and sisters in Christ as we engage with the book of Job. And so we're going to be reading through Job 10, and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us, right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. 
um, for those of us who are suffering along with me. <laughs> um, let's read together and let's pray. Let's ask God, what do you have to say to us today? God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? Today, speak to me. Speak to us. Speak to all of us, Lord, as we engage together in your word. Bless us today. Bless us today, Lord. Um, speak to our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Lord, as we open in this word, we ask for your grace. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Job 10, verse 1, and it says this, My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as a man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you should seek from my iniquity and search out my sin, although you know that I'm not wicked and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay and you will turn me to dust again. Did you not pour out? Did you not, sorry, pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit and these things you have hidden in your heart. I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me and I will not and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I'm righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. I see my misery. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. Again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your indignation towards me. Changes and war are ever with me. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though it would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land as dark as darkness itself as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. Then Zophar, the Naamite, answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Now, sorry, know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by in prisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees the wickedness also, for he will not consider it. For an empty-headed man will be wise, and a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery. 
and remember it as the waters that have passed by. And your life would be brighter by noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like morning, and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape and their hope loss of life. Hmm. Then Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you, but I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him. The just and blameless who is ridiculed. <laughs> ah, a lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. But now ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the air and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you and the flesh of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this and whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words? and the mouth tastes its food, wisdom is with aged men. And with the link of days, understanding, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the water, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and the binds and binds their waist with the belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in the pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like drunken men. Like a drunken man. Behold, my eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning, and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality for Him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why did I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in his hands, though he slay me? Yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See, now I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated, who is he who will contend with me. If now I hold my tongue, I perish. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Then call, and I will answer. Or let me speak, then you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? 
Make me known my transgressions of my sins. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? And will you pursue dry stubble? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the socks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit on the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that a moth is eaten. I'll read the last chapter, 14. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so he cannot, so that he cannot pass. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man, he finishes his day. For there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may dry in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But a man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Hmm. Remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard servant, I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now, you're no, for now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquities as the mountain falls and crumbles away, as the rock is moved from its place, as the water wears away stones, as the torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes away. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he does not perceive it but his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it. The word of God. The word of God. As I mentioned to you yesterday, uh, Job is a book of what I would call chronological contention. Um, Job is a book where we don't necessarily know or at least agree, which is what I mean by chronological attention. We don't necessarily agree on where the book lies within the chronology of when it was written or when it has transpired. But most would agree whether or not you believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, which many theologians believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, written even before Moses. And other theologians who believe that Job was written um, during the time of Israelite captivity, we know at least based off of the references in this book that Job was written sometime before Mo that that the story of Job happens sometime before Moses and before Abraham. So before God had even chosen Abraham, before God had given Moses a law for the children of Israel. Before everything that we've read up to this point, maybe aside from Noah, but before all of that came Job. And Job, which is what many believe came during what we call the patriarchal uh, uh, time, 
It's a time in an era of an era of patriarchs. Job, of course, being the paradigm of patriarchy. Job was seen as a righteous man. Job was seen as a as an honorable man. Not only was Job seen among men as a righteous man, but even God saw him as righteous. Meaning before even the law had existed, Job was considered righteous. Before there was a law, Moses, Abraham, sorry, not Moses, but Abraham was seen as righteous. We see this in the book of Hebrews, that Abraham was seen as righteous before there was even a law. So therefore, righteousness is not contingent upon the law, but contingent upon what God declares you to be. God declared him righteous, and because of that, he was righteous. We see that in Romans, and we see that in Hebrews, when it says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it was belief that God then ascribed the title of righteousness to him, meaning you're not righteous because you got, you know, your Bible right or because you went to church on Sunday. You're not righteous because you, you know, you, you, got, you got plenty of Bible verses. You're not righteous because you haven't slept around for, for weeks. You're not righteous because you're not sinning or doing anything wrong. That's not what makes you righteous. Mm -hmm. What makes you righteous is not your performance. You cannot perform for God and be righteous in your performance. It's impossible to be righteous before God by your performance. But Abraham believed God and it accounted to him for righteousness. It's faith that makes you righteous. It's faith that God declares you as righteous. Got a cool little thing, side note, for those of you who need it, and maybe this will help you out when you understand righteousness the way God wants us to understand righteousness. Just think of this. Righteousness leads you to justification. Justification is what? It's just as if I never did it. That's what God does. God forgets your sin. He forgets your mistake. It is faith that makes you righteousness. It is faith that justifies you. And when God justifies you, he sanctifies you, meaning God does all the work. Justification is just as if I never did it. So stop coming to God with all your past sins and all your past mistakes and asking God for forgiveness for things that he had already forgiven you of. What he wants you to do is he wants you to believe he wants you to believe. That's why it says Abraham believed God and it accounted to him for righteousness. So Hebrew says Abraham believed God and, he, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Job was considered righteous before there was even a law. There was, there was, a, there were, before there was a law, before a law was written, before a law was given. And yet even before the law, Job, goes through a dissertation about God. When, when, you, when you see this, I mean, if anybody wants any kind of dissertation about God, like any, any kind of, hey, this is who God is, any kind of breakdown of the nature, the power, the authority of God, you can get it right here from Job. Job is saying a lot, and he's breaking down a lot. And he's revealing a lot about who God is. And in his defense, he's bringing revelation to God. And, and so I love some of the things that he's saying and some of the things that he speaks into. And you can go back. We just read it, but you can go back. But Job has a profound revelation of God. And God knows Job and Job knows God. We know God knows Job because, again, God brought the attention to Job. He brought attention to Job. And in bringing attention to Job, that's when, of course, we see that Job goes through his suffering. Suffering reveals two things. Let me say this one more time. Let me say this. For those of us who are in Christ, suffering reveals two things. Suffering reveals, first, that you have God's attention. If you suffer, it's not because God is ignoring you. If you suffer, it's because God is attentive to you. And at the same time, if you suffer, it means that the devil has attention to you as well. We talked about this before, that suffering is a part of God's justice. And suffering reveals to you and brings attention to you that you have God's attention. And at the same time, you have the devil's attention. And in their attention, there is contention. 
Suffering is simply a fracture. It's a contention between God's will and this broken reality that we live in. Suffering. We, we, we suffer. We suffer because, again, it is a part of God's justice. I know we talked about this. You can go back, um, catch it on the podcast, go back and catch the episode before. We've been talking about the two episodes before. We've been talking about this. But notice Job didn't suffer until God brought attention to him of him to the devil. And there are those of us who are trying to figure out the whole purpose of our suffering. But rather than trying to figure out the purpose of our suffering, God wants you to know that he knows your suffering and your suffering reveals that you have his attention. And now in the midst of that, he's garnering your attention. Suffering, as I talked to you yesterday, and we, we, we were talking about yesterday, suffering is an invitation Suffering is an invitation to God. It's an invitation to be attentive to Him. And it's in suffering that we garner some of the, uh, some of the greatest revelations happen during suffering. Some of the greatest insights happen during suffering. The knowledge of God happens during suffering. I read this text and I see Job going through a discourse with all the people who are contending with him. And yet Job is, yes, he's defending himself, but he's bringing revelation to God as he defends himself. And yet you see as he's bringing revelation to God, he's, he, is, he is pulling out, he's drawing out the wisdom of God, even in the midst of that suffering. That's powerful, y'all. That's powerful. Because I'm sure there's some people right now who you aspire to, and some people right now who've got incredible wisdom and incredible insight. There's some people to you. You, you, you see those people, you should ask them what their story is. Next time you meet somebody who's wise, next time you meet somebody who's just full of all this insight and all this knowledge and all this revelation and all this clarity, ask them what they've been through. Because let me tell you something, it takes suffering to get wisdom. Wisdom is costly. Wisdom, wisdom comes from pain. Wisdom comes from lessons in life. Wisdom comes from mistakes. Wisdom comes from, from all types and all forms of suffering. Wisdom don't come cheap. So next time you see somebody who's got powerful and incredible insight, ask them about their story and ask them what they've been through. And if you want some wisdom, you might have to actually go through some things. You might actually have to go through some pain. You might actually have to go through some suffering because wisdom don't come cheap. Some of the people who've gone through some of the greatest seasons of pain are the ones with some of the deepest and incredible insights. Oh, we want wisdom, but we want it at a cheap cost. Yeah, wisdom doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come cheap. I'm talking to you as a guy who's going through it right now. I'm talking to you because I'm going through some pain. And even then, I'm asking the Lord to reveal himself to me. But there's just a couple of things I want to point out. Before I head to the hospital, since I just got the call that I need to go to the hospital. So I'm speaking to you while I'm being confronted with the reality that things aren't figured out yet. And I'm praying through that, and I'm trusting in God through that. But notice now that all three of his friends who've come from the East, these three friends who've come, notice none of them are Hebrew, not even Job is a Hebrew. And yet yeah, it's, it's written by a Hebrew author. And, and we read this, and we see that all three of his friends are all asking for the same thing. They're asking for Job to repent. And they're giving all these long drawn out arguments for why he ought to repent because at the core of it, their morality says that good people shouldn't go through pain. That is the common human morality that bad things are not supposed to happen to good people. And so Job, of course, now finds himself 
having to defend himself to his friends because of what he's going through. You ever found yourself, side note family, you ever found yourself feeling ashamed of your pain? You ever found yourself feeling ashamed of your suffering? Like, you ever found yourself, be it relational, be it marital, be it found yourself ashamed of your pain because something in your soul, something in your mind, something that's been conditioned has communicated to you that somehow this is in part your fault. Like you're going through this because this is in part your fault. Like you're saying it to yourself. You may not say it explicitly, but you say it. And that you often, you kind of just don't want to tell anybody what you're going through because then people are going to ask, what did you do to go through what you went through? What did you do in your marriage? What did you do? Um, you know, how did you eat? Why didn't you take care of yourself? How did you get here? This is, have you been praying? There's some of you even right now who you're going through pain and you've grown up in a culture that teaches you if you go through pain, there must be something wrong with your faith. I don't know if anybody's talking. I don't know if anybody hear what I'm saying. I don't know if anybody's catching this. We've got a do and God responds type of culture. That now, if I'm going through pain, then something must be wrong with my faith. If I'm going through pain, then something I must be living wrong. Or, or if I'm going through pain or if my life isn't going the way that it ought to, all of a sudden, you know, we start hiding because, again, the next thing that people are going to ask is, where is your faith? Where is your faith in this? Don't you know God? Don't you pray? Why is it that you're going through what you're going through, not realizing that all it's causing you to think and to believe is, is cultivating a shame in you? It's a shame now that doesn't actually draw you closer to God, it draws you further from God. But didn't the Bible say, do not consider it strange when you encounter these various trials? Doesn't the Bible say that we're gonna go through seasons of suffering, seasons of pain, trial and suffering, and the reason why is because of our faith? Didn't he even say that we should count it all joy when we encounter those various trials, we should actually be celebrating the pain that we experienced. But we feel shame. Okay. Aside from the pain, we feel shame. Like, okay, something must be wrong. You know it's pain. Is this type of culture that creates this perception, at least I find even among pastors. Some of the people in the most pain are pastors. There's some pastors in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of the people in the most pain are, are shepherds of flocks. Some of the people who are experiencing the most pain are leaders, spiritual leaders. And yet they can never really confront their pain because if they tell anybody what they're going through, they're going to lose their position, lose their title. People are going to question them, question their authority, question their ability. You're a pastor. You shouldn't be in pain. Worship leaders too. You name them. People with platforms have pain too. People with platforms go through some stuff too. People with platforms have gone through it. That's right. People with, with, with big YouTube channels. I don't care if they're pastors. I don't care if they're leaders, if they're singers. I don't care if they're rich, if they are famous. They got pain. The only difference is, is that their pain, when they express it, is public. And so because their pain is public, you get to watch how they deal with their pain in public. I've always said this, that we always have a way of, of pointing our fingers at, at those who are on platforms publicly when in private, you're doing the same stuff. The only difference is they're doing it in front of everybody. Because again, we forget that they are humans and that there's a human aspect, a, a humanistic aspect to them. And, and so we ignore that. 
not realizing that pastors hurt too. I think many of you would be surprised at the suicide rates of pastors. You'd be surprised at how many pastors have contemplated it. I'm going somewhere with this, fam. I'm going somewhere with this. All this is to say that pain is a part of the plan. And pain is a part of the process. And we've got to find places where it's safe for people to express their pain. For you, pastor, for you, leader, for you, brother, for you, sister, who's going through a season of pain, I want you to take your example from Job. You see, the distinction between Job, as we've been reading up to this point, and we're going to get there in a minute, the distinction between Job and many of us is that not only does Job has, have this, he has this profound knowledge of God, but while he's defending himself from those who know him, Job is also bringing revelation to the wisdom of God. Watch this. Because 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 this is big. This is big. This is really big. And this is what the Lord is really speaking into me today. And I hope he speaks this into you. And we've been talking about this even in our prayer series of on frustrated prayers. Is Job, if you look, every one of his friends, they come to him and they they tell him and they urge him, be it Zophar, be it Bildad, or be it, uh, what's the other guy's name? I forgot his name right now. My brain is... is Eliphaz. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they they all, you know, as good friends do, they all come to him and they say, hey, you need to repent. Because if you're going through stuff, it's because you did something wrong. So figure out what you did and repent of it so all this can get fixed. Job then defends himself. He knows his life. He knows how he's lived. He says, up to this point, in my knowledge, I ain't seen I did anything wrong. And yet here I am finding myself in the state that I'm in. And so he then speaks into the power of God, the authority of God, the wisdom of God. Notice that in his defense, in his pain, his defense in his pain is also his apologetic for God. I know we're going to keep working this after uh, next week. But his apologetic for pain is a revelation of God that then becomes an apologetic for God. So his pain now becomes the premise by which he speaks into the character, the heart, and the power of God. And so now he reveals who God is. Job knows I'm going through this but I know who God is. I'm going through this, but I know about God's power. I'm going through this, but I know about God's authority. I'm going through this. And here's what I have to tell you. This is not about me and I can't make sense of it, but the, what I can make sense of and what I do know is who God is. The one thing about Job that is unwavering, and I pray that this would happen for each and every one of us here, especially those who are going through seasons of pain, is to know that even though I'm going through stuff, God has not changed. Even if I'm going through pain, my God is still the same. Even if things aren't going the way that I would have expected them to be, God is still in control. Even if I, I don't get why this isn't working out and I've prayed about it, I've sought after God for healing, I've sought after God for a breakthrough, and even if it's not getting rearranged and getting fixed, God is still God and he's still who he is. And it doesn't all make sense to me yet, but God isn't surprised and God is in control. And now what Job then says is as he presents his apologetic to God, stay with me, fam, because it's going to help somebody who's going through some pain today, is that even in his apologetic, once Job defends who his God is to the friends who want to question him, notice now, Job isn't defending himself. Job is defending God. <sighs> Job, instead of dealing with 
the things that, the, that, that his friends are saying that he should repent of, Job reminds him of who God is. Meaning now, he's not defending himself saying, I'm not that guy, I'm not that guy, I'm not that guy. No, he quickly goes from I'm not that guy to this is who God is. Oh, I hope y'all catching this family. He, he, in his defense to his friends, Job is saying, I heard what you said about what you think I should do. At this point, I don't know what to ask God forgiveness for because I'm not that guy. However, I know who God is, and this is who he is. And I think for many of us, there's no greater testimony, no greater testament to the power, the authority, and the witness of God than for a person to, who's going through it to declare who God is. This is talking to you, and this is coming from a guy right now who's about to head to the hospital, who they're saying maybe things aren't going the way that they should be going, and maybe you're not healing the way that you should be healing. No matter what is going on with my eye after the surgery, no matter what it is that I'm dealing with, no matter what it is that I'm going through, I can't testify to somebody today that my God is still the same. He's still all-powerful. He's still mighty. He's still the King of Kings. He's still the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord who is mighty in battle. He is the Lord who's in control. My God doesn't change. He, he, he's all powerful. He has all authority. So now Job now, upon affirming who God is and knowing his wisdom goes beyond his comprehension, his wisdom goes beyond his understanding, knowing that the wisdom of God goes beyond what he can fit and what he can understand and what he can move. And even though he's going through the suffering and even though he's going through the pain and that it doesn't fit within the circumference of his theology and his mind and his thinking and his worldview and his philosophy, because at this point, I don't make sense of it. But this is what I know. I know God is in control. I know I've been chosen by him. I know that he loves me. So though he slay me, yet will I trust him. <laughs> though he slay me, yet will I trust him. While you're sitting around wasting your time defending yourself to people about the pain that you're going through and what you did wrong, instead, start declaring who God is. There's nothing more powerful than a person in pain who's proclaiming the power, the authority, and the goodness of God. There's nothing more powerful than to proclaim life even in the midst of pain, to proclaim hope even in the midst of hopelessness. There's nothing more powerful than for a believer who has faith in Jesus Christ to speak about the goodness and the grace of God even in the midst of their suffering. Ain't nothing like it. So even while I'm in the midst of pain, I'm going to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him because I know who God is. So if I'm going through this, God's got a bigger plan, even in the midst of my pain. Jesus still remains king. God is still in control. And he gives this dissertation about God. This is what I call the wisdom of pain for the believer. Here's the thing that's so encouraging to me. Job proclaims who God is to his friends. But Job still comes to God with his frustration. That last chapter we read. after Job has dealt with his friend. You know, I've, I've always heard this, like, that Job seems to be in conflict. At one point, he is declaring the goodness of God and he's declaring the power of God and the authority of God. But then on the other hand, Job sounds conflicted because then he's questioning God. I say to you that Job is not in conflict at all. This was my revelation today. Back in the day, I may have preached this before. <laughs> that Job is in conflict and he's wrestling. I don't see a man in conflict today. I see a man who has what he knows 
in his heart, or sorry, what he knows in his mind, and a man who's dealing with what he's feeling in his heart. There's no conflict here because what he's saying to those who are questioning him, he defends who God is. But what he's doing when it comes to God is he's bringing what he's going through and how he's feeling. Notice in this whole discourse, notice in this whole discourse that whatever sounds like a conflict is really just who he's talking to. When he's talking to his friends, he's defending God and his goodness. But when he comes to God, he's saying, God, I just want to die. God, I might as well not be alive. God, I might as well. This is, this is, well, why did you, why did you even birth me in all of this? He almost sounds completely hopeless. Pay very close attention, fam. Because I, I preached this about, uh, I preached this on, uh, a few weeks ago, a sermon that I preached on frustrated prayers. And what I find that many, many people do is they have frustrations, but they don't feel like they can come to God with it. They're feeling a certain way, but they don't feel like they can tell God. Just because you know who God is doesn't mean you can't come to him with how you feel. God, I know you're good, but right now I don't feel good. I know you are good, but I don't feel good. Do you see the difference? When you go to the public space, you speak about who God is. But when you go to the private space, you speak about how you feel. There's no hopelessness in that. Job isn't hopeless. Neither are we. Job knows who God is, but Job also knows how he feels. Job knows, but he knows how he feels. And so he knows I can come to God and say, oh, that you would hide me from the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past. In verse 13, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. I can come to God and ask, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of his hard service, I will wait till my change comes. I can, I can go to God. I can go to God in, in chapter 14 and say a man is born of a woman, is of a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. I can come to God with how I feel. It don't mean that I don't have hope. I'm telling you, God, how I feel. So I can come to God and say, God, I'm frustrated. Like, I just want to get over this. I can go to God and say, God, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. I don't want to be dealing with this. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I have massive headaches. My eye is in pain. It's been two weeks. I should be feeling better. But now I feel like I'm not feeling better. God, why? why? Like, this is frustrating. I can come to God and say that. It doesn't mean that I'm questioning who he is. I know who you are. Whether this gets fixed or not, I know who you are. And I know who I am in you. And I know that I've been made righteous by you, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that I've been chosen by you. I'm not worried about that. I'm just telling you how I feel right now. And here's what I've learned is the more I come to God with how I feel right now, the more comfort I find in where I am in the moment that I am.
that's my word for you today. I know I've been ranting. I know I'm all over the place. I know you're like, I don't know where he's going. I'm ranting. That's why it's called the read and rant. Because you're just getting a peek into my process. You're getting a peek into how I deal with the word and how the Lord speaks to me as I spend time in his word. And all I'm saying to you today is, yes, God, I, I know. I know who you are. But this is how I feel. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you've lost. It doesn't mean you don't trust him. It doesn't mean you don't believe. It just means right now, I don't like this. And it doesn't feel good. I hate this and I'm tired. And that's okay. Because eventually, the more you spend there with God, the more he gives you his wisdom the more you can learn and have confidence to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's when you can learn to say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You understand? So I'm not hopeless. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> I'll even encourage as I read this to you, and we're going to close in prayer for those of you who are in pain. Let's declare that I'm not hopeless. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> I'm not hopeless. I'm just annoyed. And the more we spend there, the more we will find peace and joy, even in these temporary moments of pain. Father, I thank you. Lord, that you give us a word every day. Lord, as we read your word today, Lord, how timely is it? How timely is it for me? How timely is it for those who are here? Lord, who are seeking understanding, trying to get to the why of their pain, and yet but maybe we should just simply seek you, seek your presence, and in it find your wisdom, and in it find your grace, and in it find the knowledge of who you are. Though we don't doubt at all. We're not hopeless. We know there's healing. We know, Lord, that you are in control. We know this doesn't surprise you. For everybody who's here, who's going through it, we know this doesn't surprise you. But Lord, there are those of us right now in this life, right now, who are listening, right now, who are participating, who are saying, I'm not hopeless. I'm just frustrated. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would receive the frustration. Receive those words that Job had uh, from us in the same way that you see those words from Job. And let us leave with the wisdom and the knowledge, Lord, that you give, Lord, generously. And Lord, to leave with confidence to know, Lord, that there are better days ahead. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen.